I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Kate Nibbs. Welcome to Damage Control on the Channel 33 Network, a podcast where we unpack what upsets, excites, and divides us in popular culture. A tale of two rap feuds. This week, we're going to talk about Drake, Pusha T, Chief Keef, and Takashi 69 and their respective escalating conflicts. But first, we're talking about Melania Trump, the missing first lady, whose disappearance from public view for the past few weeks inspired a lot of admittedly silly conspiracy theories online and also underscored the inscrutable nature of the Trump family's most mysterious member. Okay, so Kate, Mm -hmm. Melania Trump. You know, the first lady that we all know and love, Melania Trump, went missing for a few weeks. I'm putting missing in scare quotes as I say this, but she went missing. We didn't see her. We, the American people. First, she was at Andrews Air Force Base at a welcoming ceremony with the president. Then uh, she was hospitalized on May 10th for a kidney treatment. And then she just seemed to disappear. She had no public events. Her appearances were canceled. Uh, strange statements started coming from her Twitter account. It didn't seem like she was necessarily writing some of her tweets. And gradually, this became a bizarre scandal, as everything in, <laughs> in the Trump age does. Uh, so after the first couple of weeks of her being missing, a lot of Trump's critics in the media started speculating somewhat seriously, but also somewhat ridiculously, that Melania Trump had gone missing or that she'd escaped <laughs> from the White House or that she was otherwise being hidden away for some reason. And people were speculating this even in recent days after a couple of reporters, including a CNN reporter at the White House, you know, they were tweeting. They were saying, oh, well, you know, I just saw Melania walking down the hallway. <laughs> and people were still, because she wasn't actually out in public and, you know, it, it Outside at public events, people just sort of put away those those tweeted confirmations of sightings of Melania, and they chalked it up to the machine covering for Melania in her mysterious absence. So this is a strange story, right? There's the, there's always been this sense that Melania Trump is the most unwitting and secretly resentful participant in Donald Trump's political career. And so for a lot of people, I think her disappearance suggested some sort of dissent or rebellion or else punishment. That said, it was also weird to watch a lot of people, including reporters, online freak out because the first lady basically just didn't want to be seen in front of cameras for a few weeks. Kate, what do you make of the great Melania Trump conspiracy corner? (laughs) Well, first I got to admit that Melania's disappearance did fascinate and freak me out because we're not used to seeing a first lady retreat from public life to this extent. And so I was definitely keeping tabs on the story and wanted to know where the hell she was. But it was a little disconcerting to see how freely everyone was just sort of projecting whatever fantasies they had onto the brief disappearance Uh, And this has been going on, like, even before this sort of uh, three-week period of of going away, people already had, like, a bunch of conspiracies about Melania. There was a a thing where people thought she was using a body double, um, which I thought was just sort of stupid. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but I do, I mean, so basically I think it was a legitimate thing to be interested in because it was objectively weird and, you know, people should have been trying to figure out what happened to her. But at the same time, I was also, I don't think it was super smart to get as freewheeling as people did with wondering where she had gone. Like, I think the baseline interest was correct, but the things that people did with that interest was silly. Right. Yeah, there are two halves of this story. There's the Melania half, right, where it's sort of – Melania is just mysterious, right? Like when you talk about people thinking she is a body double, people Mm -hmm. essentially writing fan fiction about Melania Trump, there is something that – there's something about her and her – I think her – she doesn't talk that much in the press. She certainly doesn't talk as much or as recklessly as other members of the Trump family do in the press. Uh, And then she wears – I mean, to the point of uh, absurdity, she wears sunglasses everywhere. <laughs> she wears them at night. She wears them at all events. She, she hides behind these. sunglasses <laughs> at night. Well, she, she wears these giant sunglasses all the time. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot about how she carries herself that makes her seem inaccessible. Yeah, I mean, and just the fact that she didn't move to the White House right away when when Trump took residence there. And she's really she waited over a year and a half to roll out her first lady initiative. Um, First ladies in the past have sort of taken on a pet project a lot sooner. Uh, She's really refused the ceremonial responsibilities of the first lady as much as she possibly could have. This is uh, my only. the only thing I'll say about like what I think Melania has been up to is that it's probably like the most obvious explanation, which is she had to get some sort of kidney surgery, felt shitty, and just didn't want to do anything. And the fact that she retreated even more from this public role that everyone had expected her to play freaked everyone out. And and she's such a cipher to begin with that it caused this sort of yeah, media speculation frenzy. Right. She's a cipher on the one hand, but then on the other hand is the White House itself and Donald Trump Mm -hmm. himself. And they communicate so erratically and chaotically. You could imagine imagine Melania Trump being press shy in some other White House, and it wouldn't have escalated to this point because the White House would have communicated about it differently. Yeah, or— And her staff would have communicated about it differently. Or cajoled her into doing more in some way. Three weeks deep into this, Melania Trump tweeted. <laughs> There's a point at which she acknowledged the the burgeoning conspiracy theories about her. And it's specifically how this tweet is written and how much like a, a Donald Trump tweet, it feels like really completed people's, I think, perverse theorizing about it. I'm going to read I'm going to read this quote unquote Melania Trump tweet. Mm-hmm. I see the media is working overtime, speculating where I am and what I'm doing. Rest assured, I'm here at the White House with my family, feeling great and working hard on behalf of children and the American people. Yeah, that I mean, because Melania's other tweets, Melania has always been a super weird tweeter, but her other tweets have been have not sounded like that. Yeah. Like she, she did she's that. not doing the like, I'm the media is. <laughs> yeah. Like I, my favorite Melania Trump tweet is when she just posted a picture of a beluga whale and said, what is, 
she thinking? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that definitely fueled the flames because it really sounded like Donald Trump had gained control of his right. wife's Twitter account. Right. Um, do you do you think that Melania do you think that Melania owes us anything? That's hard. That's a hard question because I think you're hitting you're hitting at this, right? The idea of the position of the first lady and the mm-hmm. ceremonial function has taken on so many different aspects and so many different iterations that at this point a lot of people seem to have come to view the position of first lady as a quasi political appointee position. Yeah. And it's sort of Melania is forcing a, a rethink of that in a lot of ways. I don't know. I I would prefer a world in which Melania if she really wanted to could just do her own thing. Me too. <laughs> That's why I mean? I'm like okay, I get I think that first ladies or first men who want to take on this activist role like Hillary Clinton clearly wanted to use the position um to advocate for causes she cared about uh Michelle Obama to a lesser degree like I think she probably would have been happier had she been able to just continue her successful professional life but she she used the role to advocate for um like child health right. in a very real way like she was putting a lot of time and energy into it but I don't think it should have been required of her so I'm not I think if if there's any like moral to come from the Melania debacle it's that maybe I don't know we should there's so much other shit going on with the Trump White House maybe we should just let Melania be a recluse right and right. and maybe this will make us more aware of how bizarre the role the ceremonial role of the first spouse has always been right i think the first lady role has become obligatory in a lot of ways that maybe it shouldn't be i think the other component of this though is the melania donald trump marriage which itself also seems obligatory because a real meme since trump's inauguration has definitely been Awkward public interactions between Melania and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's the other thing that makes this story feel so notable is is it's not just that she didn't it's not just that Melania Trump didn't want to move to Washington. It's just it's it's more so that whenever she's at a public event with Trump, she seems like she doesn't belong. I don't think she I mean there are times it really that, looks like she does not want to be married to him anymore. But do you remember during the, the hurricane in Texas, the very awkward moment where um, they're both there? This is this is in the midst, by the way, of the the backlash of who was it? She was Melania Trump was wearing stilettos on the mm-hmm. tarmac on the way to a hurricane relief effort, and it's literally Trump giving a speech and Melania standing right to his left. <laughs> And Donald Trump starts speaking about how, oh, Melania really wanted to be here today. (laughs) On behalf of myself, our vice president, Melania really wanted to be with us. She's really, it's really touched her heart what's going on. And we've seen the devastation. Yeah. She really, uh, if only she could have been here today. (laughs) That was weird. But they have so many interactions like that. And... I think that's the other half of it. That's that itself has that dynamic has encouraged so much speculation. That's not even political speculation. It really is. It's gossip and it's uh, 
it's schadenfreude in a way, right? It's schadenfreude about Donald Trump. And the side effect of it is that a lot of people have this liberation narrative that they've crafted for Melania. Definitely. And, okay, not to get too dark, but to get a little dark, there is another side to this, which is that Donald Trump has a history of treating women very poorly. And that means that there's an extra spotlight on his wife. Right. Whether she's like an accomplice to him treating third parties poorly or whether she is herself the recipient of improper behavior. Like I think some people, and I kind of am, are genuinely worried about Melania because she's married to a man that many people, including myself, perceive as uh, potentially abusive or even dangerous towards women. That adds this extremely dark layer over the story or dark, I don't know, whatever, something dark. Yeah, Yeah, right. Because she could be in real peril. And that makes it a lot less fun to joke about. Like I've that's the other reason why I've been really following the story. It's just like it's scary and dark. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Trump, yeah, Trump's ex-wives have talked about this stuff mm-hmm. in public and books and writing. Uh, and so, yeah, that definitely adds this. Yeah, it adds a super worrisome subtext to the headline. Melania Trump missing for three weeks. Yeah. Right. Totally. Um I but but then that dynamic sort of raises the ultimate question of Melania Trump, which is how much like we certainly look at a lot of other members of the Trump family as participants in the Donald Trump brand mm-hmm. in a very uh shameful assertive way. And I don't know, whenever whenever media characterizes Melania as as this person who is just sort of unwittingly along for the ride, I always wonder and worry whether we're minimizing her agency in all of this. Yeah, like, is she... Because she's an adult woman. Like, yeah. she, there, she could very easily just be just as complicit in in the private sphere as Ivanka is. Right. Where she fits on the spectrum of complicity in... Mm-hmm. in Trumpism is very it's so unclear especially Mm -hmm. because like you said there are these questions about the nature of Donald and Melania Trump's relationship Mm -hmm. it just makes it so that she is the one person like I have a very clear sense of how much blame I think Jared or Ivanka or Eric Jr. deserve if we're if we're sort of assessing people who have participated and who are participating in Donald Trump's political life yeah Melania is the one person where it's just like, I don't know where she goes on the spectrum even. It's totally unclear. Yeah, me neither. I don't even know if we'll ever find out because I don't know if we're – I don't know if we're ever going to find out more about Melania than we already know. Right. Like I don't think she's going to start talking. Um, It's weird to see how the like public – reaction to Melania has sort of evolved over the years because we were talking earlier about how um, like during the Trump candidacy there was some there was already like Melania fanfic going on Um, the New York Times published this like really lovely and compelling short story by Chimamanda Ngoji Adichie um, about like from the perspective of a fictional Melania and I remember reading it and being like wow I love this story and but also feeling like fondness for Melania there seemed to be that 
early on, there seemed to be this willingness to view her opacity favorably, be like, maybe she's just a sweet, shy woman. But then once Trump was elected, it was like, no, maybe she's complicit. And now the missing narrative is sort of, I think, made people more sympathetic to her again. I don't know. It just It's weird to see, like, uh, the way that people approach Melania seems to ebb and flow based on, but she's been a cipher the whole time. Like, she hasn't given anyone anything this entire time. Right. Well, at the very least, at this point, at least we know where she is. <laughs> she For seems now. to be at the White House. I think we finally like lured her out of hiding, and Trump is very <laughs> dramatically being like, I told you she was here. I think they turned the cameras on her at some event at the White House. And Trump like very awkwardly belabored the point of, she's right there on camera. So we know where she is, but I don't think we'll ever know who she is. Right. There are already not one, but two rat beefs this summer, and it's only June. Uh, the first between Drake and Pusha T gave the world the iconic line, You are hiding a child. We talking character. Let me keep with the facts. You are hiding a child. Let that boy come home. Deadbeat motherfucker playing Border Patrol. Ooh. Adonis is your son, and he deserves more than an Adidas press run. That's real. Pusha claimed that Drake had fathered and hidden a kid in the story of Adidon. Uh, that feud got the bulk of media attention. But while it was dirty and personal, it's still very much a war of words. While the second feud, which is between Chief Keef and Takashi 69 is actually looking far more serious. Uh, Chief Keef recently blamed Takashi after Keef was nearly shot, like with a real gun, outside of a New York City hotel. People have been watching these feuds closely and almost enjoying them as though they're TV dramas, following each new development on social media. I'm wondering if it's irresponsible to find Chief Keef versus Takashi exciting. Well, the originating problem here is that Takashi 69 himself is picking these fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's picking and persecuting these fights via social media. He's very deliberately being provocative and... He's he's trying to start shit. He's trying to be a bully. And he, in the case of his trying to provoke Chief Keef, a street rapper from Chicago, and also trying to provoke Little Reese and others and feuding with them initially in, like, Instagram captions and, you know, in Instagram videos, and it now seeming like an actual uh, cross-country <laughs> shootout, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is what – this is – Takashi has engineered this feud to be a social media spectacle. You know what I mean? And I think that – I definitely think it's irresponsible to a degree. Like, I mean, if you think about – think about – people People bring this up all the time, obviously. But think about Biggie versus Tupac as a rap feud, mm-hmm. right? Like, a lot of people clearly in the moment enjoyed the tension of that rivalry and – and then both of those rappers die, right? And people still, I think, after both of those rappers' deaths, cherished 
um, in a perverse but also in a way that makes sense. They cherish this sort of idea that those two rappers are forever in contrast and conflict with one another mm-hmm. and their legacies are in contrast and conflict with one another. But the whole thing about that beef is that it was supposed to serve as a lesson of, yeah, rappers can fight, but they really should not kill each other. Yeah, they probably should not kill each other. Yeah, def- I would say Or definitely. they should not surround themselves with people who are going to get them killed. Maybe that's the better way to put it. Yeah. Um, and Takashi is, is trying to restore the feeling right now. Because part of this was like Takashi saying, you know, at one point Takashi 69 says, I give you, I'll give you 48 hours, Keith, to try to kill me. Like, I'm in New York. And this is sort of a memed thing in all of this is, you know, Takashi was bragging about how he's in New York. If you want to come shoot me, come shoot me. And then the next day, Chief Keef arrives in New York and Takashi's in Los Angeles <laughs> walking around being like, yeah, we in Los Angeles. No one's touched me. You know, this is very much it feels like on a certain level, it, it feels like really juvenile stunting. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like a Tom and Jerry type situation. But on the other hand, like, yeah, a lot of these people are flashing guns on Instagram. And there are these stories about people getting, you know, shot at in Midtown. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's irresponsible. But there is something that is thrilling on a very perverse level that I think a lot of people, especially if you're you're in hip hop culture, especially if you're very young right now in hip hop culture, that you're not going to look away from. I I feel like. I'm not in hip-hop culture, and I feel like I've been looking at this just, like, glancing at it, and I feel like I don't know a lot of the history of how rap beefs have, like, evolved over the years. Have they gotten less violent since, like, Tupac and Biggie? Not necessarily. <laughs> no, I would say not necessarily, no. I definitely think of, like, the aughts feud between—I guess it was a three-way—no, it was a two-way feud between Jeezy and Gucci— which at one point leads to one of Jeezy's associates being murdered, right? But because the Jeezy's friend who was killed during his feud, his feud with Gucci Man is not was not himself like a superstar rapper, it doesn't have the same narrative. It's not framed that feud isn't framed the same way as Biggie Tupac is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's what I think has really happened is that the caliber of rapper who is engaged in that sort of really nasty feud uh, has changed, right? Like a lot of the t- – you have two types of rap beefs, right? You either have superstar rappers beefing, so like – or rappers beefing at a superstar level, mm-hmm. like Drake having to, you know, beef with Pusha T, which feels like a very mainstream, like – late night television level feud. Yeah, that one I'm not worried about. I yeah, feel like I can other, I can right. enjoy that one as a spectacle because I know that it's so not going to result in bloodshed. Right, right. Drake is so far removed from getting in one shot. Yeah. And then on the, but then the second tier of rap beef you have is legit street rappers. People who are I mean, for one I want to just say like much younger than Drake and Pusha. Like, Bush is in his 40s. Drake is 30 or 31 now. Mm-hmm. And, like, with Takashi and Keef, I mean, it's weird because, like, Keef has been a popular musician for years, but he was super young when he blew up. He's still in like, his early 20s. You know what I mean? And Takashi is also Takashi is also young. And these people are still in the streets in a way that, obviously, like, not even Pusha T is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it seem 
super reckless and super perverse and super and, – and we're saying this in contrast to the Pusha T. Drake beef, which involved like insulting somebody for having multiple cirrhosis and uh, having a hidden family, <laughs> right? That's tame. That's tame in comparison to watching uh, Takashi and Chippy chase each other across the United States shooting at each other. Or I won't even say at each other because the weird thing about this is that Chief Keef at one point, certainly when Chief Keef first blew up a few years ago, he was seen as a wild child. And mm-hmm. like Chief Keef has gone through a lot since hip-hop fandom first got to know him. Like he's been out of rehab. He's got warrants. He can't even really – he can't – you know, Takashi's made a big point of insulting Keef because he can't really be in Chicago like talking about. Like CPD is looking for him. Like a lot of – you know, Takashi's not the only person who has grievances with Chief Keef. Let's put it like that. Yeah. But that just makes this feel so perilous on a certain level because Takashi and Keef are these – like – Keith is somebody who has come a long way. There was a point at which I could imagine Chief Keith being like, "Yeah, I'll go to jail. I'll shoot this guy." And Chief Keith, it's it's almost this poignant narrative where it's like, "Yo, Keith has really kept his nose clean for a couple years now." And watching Takashi Six Nine come in like the Joker, provoking him. Yeah, it just it's really, it's it's really ugly to watch. Yeah, I have not enjoyed. <laughs> watching that at all it's like very dark and depressing and the fact that it's the younger generation like there there's been a devolution sort of back towards this i'm i might actually shoot you it might i mean i don't know that i don't know that it's a devolution i i think stuff like this i mean keith himself used to be wrapped up in feuds like this all the time Mm -hmm. um I think the thing that makes it perverse in this dynamic is that Takashi Six Nine. Just take Takashi Six Nine, who he's perverse in general. Right. That's the problem is that he is just such an unsympathetic figure. He is the ultimate downvote. You know, like <laughs> everything about. I just want to cancel everything about Takashi Six Nine. And so you watch this, and you're just like, this isn't even a con. One, it's a conflict that just. It doesn't even exist in, in the form of, like, enjoyable music. It just exists as threats of violence. But two, like, obviously I'm rooting for Keith. Like, I'm not going to root for this other guy. This other guy is just a troll. This other guy is just the ultimate – he's just a dirtbag, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the thing that makes rap beefs great when they're truly great is that you are watching two people who, even if you declare one side, you declare, you declare a favorite side, right? You're watching two people who are matched who uh, you could see anyone rooting for either of them. And it's just hard to root for Takashi 69 yeah. trying to like get Chief Keef put away or get himself killed. Like there's nothing sympathetic about what he's trying to do. And that's what makes this a bad rap beat. Yeah. Well, also it's like – the good ones, it's about the music that comes out of the beef. It's like you're enjoying the back and forth in in its art. It's not about actually physically harming one another. Right. The new the new I will say the new dynamic is that in, in addition to enjoying the music, there's a level in which beefs now are about enjoying the I guess we'll call it non-music, like enjoying the multimedia meme level mm-hmm. stuff because that's a big part of that's a big part of what's so enjoyable about the Drake 
Pusha T feud is not just story of added on, but it's the fact that the memification of Drake has turned on Drake <laughs> and it's created this new wave of what it means to meme Drake. And now he looks like the butt of the memes as opposed to, he looks like the butt in a way that like really disempowers Drake. Whereas before memes only further empowered Drake. Um, or you see things like during before the story of added before Pusha T released that song that sort of hemmed Drake up, like Drake releases Duppy Freestyle, and it's this diss that people think initially, oh, Drake really got Pusha T, and then he sends an invoice to Pusha T's record label for a hundred thousand dollars for free publicity, and like that invoice is the perfect encapsulation of like a post Drake uh, feud because it's you have the song on the one hand. And then you have this this web image of an invoice, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes a thing. Other people appropriate it. Other people remix that image. But that's a way of enjoying a rap beef that is outside of the music itself in a positive way. Yeah. And then there's enjoying a rap feud in a non-musical way that is destructive, like shooting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Damage not control is on the record as being anti-anyone shooting each other. Yeah, people shouldn't shoot each other. No. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird because I do think that there's a there I I definitely as somebody who is invested in in hip hop as a critic and just as a listener like there is a weird valorization that sometimes happens of like oh man the wild west the good old days where like threats actually meant something and people weren't just doing it for the grand people weren't just doing it for clout all these ways of people talking about how you know, uh, if you said something at one point in time, you had to back it up. Whereas now, like, so much stuff plays out via social media. Like, I get I get the fogeyism of complaining about that sort of thing, of complaining that millennials <laughs> fight on Instagram instead of slapboxing each other. Um, but it's just, you know, I think the Takashi Chief Key feud is really underscored that it's just hard to enjoy watching somebody risk not on their life but their freedom they're risking their life they're risking their freedom they're risking their musical career and in again in in, in chief keef's case it's not even that he's risking that it's that he was already risking that for years earlier in his career and he seems to have come such a long way to becoming a, a more responsible actor and a, and a righteous actor in the case of this feud because um, he largely seems to be trying to ignore it or Except like, for when he he's flew not, to New York. yeah. When he flew to New York. But it, I mean, what I, I guess what I mean is like he's trying to. I look at Keith and I I do think he's trying to keep it on the level, right? He's trying to intimidate Takashi, but I think he knows that he needs to first and foremost not create problems for himself by getting anybody killed. Yeah. The thing that makes it unenjoyable is that Takashi is not behaving similar, similarly. Like he really is trying to get shot. Oh, brother. I was going to say on a lighter note, will Drake stop hiding the child? Do of you, course. So do you think we're going to get like a, fuck, what was that Will Smith song with just oh, the two of us? Oh, my God, with Jane. Just the two of us part two. <laughs> just the two of us part two. Uh, that is a much lighter feud to talk about. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's, this is damage control. And as far as Drake's damage control goes, I think there's one line <laughs> where... Uh, there's one line on the story of Adidon where Pusha T says he's 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 basically revealing Drake's song, uh, his son, mm-hmm. and he's saying, "Yo, your son, like I know you plan to announce 
your secret son of the world soon by way of your like pending clothing line with Adidas and you wanted to associate your son, your hidden son with this clothing line announcement, but your son deserves better than that, right? That's At the, least a yeah. Nike. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but that was one of Pusha T's sort of bars. It's like your son deserves more than an Adidas press run. Mm-hmm. But that really speaks to the nature of Drake, right? Is that he is totally going to the his messaging about his son is going to sound like product messaging. It's going to be a part of his rollout for his album Scorpion that's coming out later this month. It's it's going to be a part of his brand management, which is weird. It's weird that we go from kid we didn't even know to exist existed mm-hmm. to incorporating a small child into the brand management of a pop star. And it, it's a thing that I guess happens with all celebrity children. Got to monetize those toddlers. Yeah, but it's it's in this case, it's just jarring because the kids come out of nowhere. You know what well, I mean? Well, it came out somewhere. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Contrast it with a, a Kardashian baby rollout, right? Where it's like the pregnancy is this thing. Even if it's not announced, it's a thing. This is like a surprise drop. Yeah, right. A surprise drop. <laughs> yeah. A real surprise drop. Well, yeah. So Pusha ruined Drake's surprise drop, basically. Right. Uh, he right. That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a kid as a surprise drop, but it's true <laughs> in in the context of how Drake is going to talk about uh, his secret baby mama and mm-hmm. his secret kid going forward. It's gonna it's gonna seem like that. It's gonna seem like this is a guy who's adjusting to the fact that he was trying to surprise drop a child, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and there was a leak. <laughs> Pusha T was basically the leak. He was the whistleblower. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm still kind of excited for whatever Just the Two of Us Part 2 Drake style. Are you really? Oh, God. I don't know. know. Think of the memes. Think of them. I'm always thinking of the memes. Kate, there are too many memes. That's my take. From the first time the doctor placed you in my arms I knew I'd meet death before I let you meet harm Although questions arose in my mind Would I be man enough against wrong Choose right and be standing up From the hospital that first night All right, well, that's Damage Control. I'm Justin Charity. I'm Kate Nibbs. We'll see you all again in two weeks.